0: Howdy, folks. It's great to be here with you again for another episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. I hope all of you have had a week full of good vibes and delicious plant foods. For new listeners, my name is Simon Hill, and I'm the host of this show and the creator of plantproof.com, where I post free information about plant-based nutrition, recipes, science, etc. So if you haven't checked it out, please do. That's plantproof.com. Now, this week, I've been hanging out in Maui, another beautiful island in Hawaii. Safe to say I've had enough acai bowls for a year, but hey, I'm just soaking up the local flavors. Today's guest is plant-based mother, Ellen Fisher, who lives here in Maui and has really created the most beautiful life with her partner, Andrew, and three kids. Their life is built upon hard work, love, compassion mindfulness, and life learning. In this episode, we cover everything from Ellen's journey to a plant-based lifestyle, to how she raises her children, insight into her pregnancies, breastfeeding, and so much more. If you have kids, you are really, really going to enjoy this episode. It's full of golden nuggets. And even if you don't, just listening to Ellen's story and her determination to get away from The attraction of tangible assets and becoming more grounded is inspiration in itself. While I was at her home, I saw firsthand how amazing her and Andrew are as parents and caught a glimpse into just how happy and healthy her kids are. They were absolutely beaming. Here we go. I hope you enjoy. Alan Fisher, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here and we could do this here.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. We were we were going to do this conversation over over Skype, so I'm glad that I've been able to come to Maui, see the beautiful island in person, and connect with you in person.
1: Yeah, thank you for coming.
0: How long have you been living in Maui?
1: Five and a half years now.
0: Okay, cool. And I want to want to jump in, in in a little bit, sort of how you ended up here and what life's like now, but. In terms of Maui itself, have you have you explored a lot of the island? What are some of your favorite things to do here?
1: We love to just explore the island as a family, go on hikes. And we often meet a lot of our mom friends and parent family friends at the beach for like lazy beach days. And a lot of times we're just hanging out in the backyard, like working in the yard, gardening, enjoying the weather. <laughs> and when it's raining, we like to be indoors, snuggled up and that's pretty much what we like to do. We like to go around the island though and experience all the different things that it has to offer, like the hikes and waterfalls and yeah. included spots.
0: What are, sure. what are some of the nice, nicest sort of beaches that you've been to around here?
1: There's so many nice beaches. We're going to begin. Ho'okipa Beach in Haiku is beautiful. <laughs> where do I, I don't know. I love uh, all the beaches in Wailea, McKenna. Those are beautiful as well.
0: Amazing. And you've just moved, moved houses to a, a bigger house where you can, yeah. you've been telling me all about your, your new garden dreams that you're sort of pacing together? What do you have planned?
1: Yeah, well, it's been our long-term goal to get a space with more land so that we can grow as much food as possible, become more sustainable, grow our favorite fruits and vegetables. And that's really how we've envisioned ourselves growing older or growing younger, if you will, (laughs) just like tending to the land and raising our kids in that environment. And our children love gardening with their dad. So it's, it's been such a blessing and that's just been like our goal that we've been like working towards saving, putting all our like mind and effort towards getting there. So now that we just moved to this space that like popped up, that was perfect for us. We're really excited to get started on that.
0: And what, what are some of the, the sort of fruits and vegetables that you're wanting to plant?
1: Well, there's already a couple of mature coconut trees and an avocado tree, but we just planted another avocado tree and we're going to plant a lychee tree, maybe an ulu, which is also called breadfruit tree we're going to grow a ton of taro, possibly a mango tree and figure out the kinks. We're going to, like just going to experience the land, like soak it up, yeah, walk yeah. around the land for a while and figure out like, what do we want to plant here? And like, where will things grow well? And so that we can kind of play off each other, but definitely lots of garden beds herb gardens and yeah we're so, so cool excited. Are, there, are the
0: kids like throwing out ideas like yeah like yeah you know i, I want this I oh want
1: definitely yeah <laughs> elvis and sandy would love a surname cherry tree they love those have you ever had one of those
0: i haven't had one no. they're
1: so good they're like kind of like you know a cherry but they're more tart but super juicy and bright bright red and they have these ridges in them they're just a totally you just eat you them know.
0: straight off the tree or yeah. smoothie bowls or- no
1: yeah just straight off the tree because it's not that much like you wouldn't like take pitting each cherry to put yeah. in a smoothie, you know what I mean? But they're really fun fruit for kids. So, yeah, they're definitely having their input on what they want to plant. Elvis wants a durian tree, which we like have discussed, but I don't know. Durian. He, yeah, we lo- he loves I durian.
0: just had durian in Bali.
1: Oh, yeah. It's incredible. It's so amazing. It's
0: one of those um, fruits where people apparently either love it or hate it. Do you yes. know that? Yes,
1: yes. It's definitely like a love-hate type of fruit. People and We it love it. Like we the, all love it, yeah. yes. Yeah. But um, it's very finicky fruit, and it takes like 15 years to uh, fruit. Wow! Or, or even if you're starting from seed, it can take like 25 years. I might be off. How old Elvis? Elvis is uh, six. He's t- six. I mean, sorry, seven. <laughs>
0: seven. So he's so if you guys plant one, he can can have some durian when he's 22.
1: Uh, yes, <laughs> and he knows that too. He's like, oh, I'm gonna be way old, <laughs> but he's still like, he loves it so much. But it, it's a very finicky fruit, and it might not grow well in this space because it doesn't like wind, and there's kind of a wind tunnel right here. So we have to take all those things into consideration, and figure out what we're gonna plant.
0: That'd be pretty cool though. If yeah. he, he gets to 22, and yeah, his, his durian's finally ready. <laughs> I
1: know. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing.
0: Um, now, a lot of people will be well aware of you know the lifestyle that you've built and the sort of very mindful, conscious family, plant-based family. And I I want to dig deep into that and what that's what that journey has yeah. been like. But let's let's sort of wind back the clock a little bit and first work out how yourself and Andrew ended up in, in Hawaii in the first place and also a little bit about your own personal health journey. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I know you're originally from California. Yeah. Can you just walk us through what life was like for you, at, you know, growing up as a, as a child and into your teenage years? Yeah.
1: Yeah. We were both born and raised in Orange County, California. Very, I don't know if you're familiar with Orange County, but it's like very fast paced lifestyle. Um, very material driven was like the type of area I was, grew, that I grew up in that your value is placed a lot on what you own and how nice your things are. And there's, um you know, really nice cars there. And so growing up there, I'm like, feeling just engulfed in that, like there's pressures there, you know, that like your value is placed on what you own and what you have. And then after I had kids, also it's like lots of traffic there.
0: (laughs) Did, Did that sort of always not sit well with you or was there a time in your life where you looked at those tangible things and were like identifying with them and wanting them?
1: Oh, I totally was there. Yes. I totally was there, but it was very empty and it wasn't fulfilling or satisfying at all. And then once I went plant-based and became vegan 12 years ago, I was 19 years old, then like things kind of shifted for me. I started to like open my eyes to different ways of living and standards of living and what I value and stuff. And over time, I was like more and more open to seeing that there's another way to live and that like your, like, your life should doesn't have to have an emphasis on like what you own and that it's more fulfilling for me that way. And as time changed, I started to care less and less about like materialism and what I what I owned and and, ch- and cared more about like getting back to nature, closer to nature, living simplicity, simplest, simplest, simplest simply, <laughs> there you go, simply um, and just like not having an emphasis on materialism and saving our money, being good with our money so that we can live minimally and not buy so much stuff. And that was so fulfilling for us. Andrew has always been that way though. Even though he grew up in Orange County as well, his family had a totally different mindset and he was never one to care about materialism.
0: And and how old were you when you guys met?
1: We went to junior high and high school together. So we met when we were 15 and 16 years old. Okay,
0: well, And you mentioned that you transitioned to a plant-based diet. What was the inspiration behind that and you also alluded to the fact that around that time, you were sort of getting more conscious. Yeah. What, what sort of got you into this mind frame of thinking a little bit more and digging deeper into your own mind and working out? Am I just going down the track and sort of living someone else's life, the typical sort of Orange mm-hmm. County life? Yeah. What do I actually want in life?
1: Yeah. Um, well, it all started because I was suffering from an eating disorder and uh, I had finally admitted that I wanted to heal and get better. But every time I would try start to eat the standard foods, I was used to eating my whole life. I just felt sick and I didn't feel well because I tried to be like, all right, I need to start eating more. I definitely have like an issue and and I, I need to get back to like a healthy mindset of food. But when I would start to eat the standard foods, I didn't feel well. I felt sick. I felt sluggish. I had bad digestion, getting acne and all that stuff. So I just was like trying to figure out what to do. And someone mentioned to me, oh, you should look into like the raw food diet, a vegan diet, because it might make you feel better. And then you'll enjoy eating food again because you'll feel good on it. So I immediately, I was so intrigued by that. immediately went to the store, bought three raw food books, read them practically overnight, went vegan overnight. And it was literally like my mind shift. My mindset had shifted almost overnight dramatically to where I no longer wanted to eat to be like unhealthily skinny. I wanted to eat to have, be healthy for a healthy body inside and out and have a healthy mind about it. And I, it was amazing. It was such an amazing journey for me. And Andrew and I had already been dating for a few years, so when I like came up to him and I'm like, "Babe, we going <laughs> vegan." He's like, "What are you talking about? That is ridiculous." <laughs> He's like, "All right, I mean, do whatever you want to do. Go for it, but don't ever expect me yeah. to go vegan." And, and
0: I mean, we just need to paint the picture. This was 12 years ago, yeah. so it's a little different now. Like, if if you had to come to Andrew now, totally. like, there's so much more information, and this yeah. you know, plant based is becoming very yeah. normal. But back then. Like what did, what was his sort of, you know, idea of what veganism was? Yeah, like was?
1: he barely even knew what it was. And I was like the only vegan I knew other than the one person who had mentioned it to me. And really at the time I want to differentiate, it was really like plant-based because I was doing it for as like a diet. It was only, it was a few years later when I had watched the best speech you'll ever hear on YouTube that totally shifted like my mindset. I was like bawling by the this end. This is incredible.
0: Yes, we've, I've spoken about it a few times on on the podcast. Yes. It's, su- it's such an inspirational speech.
1: Yeah, and it was then that I became like an ethical vegan overnight. After that, you know, but before it was like really working on my health and doing it for my own health and. I think reasons. I think
0: that happens with most people who enter this plant based lifestyle from a health reason. Eventually. You get to a stage where you become more selfless. You start watching all that stuff, and really, it sort of flips itself on the head, and you your inner ethic, ethical vegan comes out.
1: Yeah, totally. I to, it, it opens your heart a little bit more when you're already eating.
0: Yeah, it reinforces what yeah. you're doing, right? Yeah, and that yeah. you're sort of on that right um, that yeah. right journey.
1: Yeah, because I think if someone had, you know, actually I, that same person who had mentioned to me to eat a raw food diet. At the time, she was an ethical vegan. I thought it was silly. Like at the time, I was like, this girl cares too much about animals type thing. That's where I was because my mindset just wasn't there. It wasn't until like a few years later when I was already eating vegan for three years that or however many years that once I watched that speech, that it just my heart was already open to it, you know? But anyways, Andrew, like thought it was so silly and crazy that I was going to go vegan. But he was like, that's great for you if you want to do it. Cool. But don't ever expect me to go vegan. But then it was like over. Over the years, it took a few years, but he would like see me eating these healthy salads and like really healthy food. And he'd be eating like In-N-Out burger and a milkshake or fries. And he would just feel so sluggish and like, oh, afterwards. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, I feel great. I could go work out right now. Like I could, you know, like he'd see the
0: difference. He wanted that.
1: Yeah. And he's (laughs) like, yeah, okay, I kind of see why you're doing this type of thing. So then he's like, all right you can make me a smoothie. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll make like a vegan meal once a week. And he just kind of started to do it really slowly. Whereas I was real like overnight. I'm like an all or nothing person. Like anytime I learn about something, I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. Let's do it now.
0: So did you sort of work out based on his personality that that was probably the best way of doing it rather than like sort of pushing him to try and make him do it overnight. Just, he was showing interest, just let him do his own thing.
1: Totally. Yeah. Like by me, you know, generally, especially with family and friends, I've found over the years that like trying to push someone into something doesn't really, isn't really effective. It's better to just let someone come to it on their own and be the best example you can be. At least that's been my personal experience. And I think that that mainly goes for like people in your real personal life, not necessarily, because I think there's so many different ways to do activism and spread information and, you know, be forthcoming about it. When it comes to like your real personal fr- family and friends, being gentle on them and everyone's on their own journey and their own time really is so effect- helpful and effective and like the most loving way you can go about it, I think. So I found that that was definitely the case for him.
0: So how did he go with, like, how long did it, because he's he's fully plant-based now, right? Yeah. yeah. So how long was his journey towards completely removing animal products?
1: Oh uh, yeah. I think it was like three years after I went vegan. Then he Then he became vegan himself too. Or like plant based, and then I watched the best speech ever, and I was like, "You gotta watch this!" And then he watched it too, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, yes!" And so we just were right so on cool. the same page there, so that was pretty amazing. So. Yeah.
0: And then, when did you guys decide that Orange County, California life, at at that point in time of your life, yeah. was was not where you wanted to be based, and that you wanted to find somewhere else to to live and raise a family?
1: Yeah. So we had been eating vegan and. Living our lifestyle in Orange County for a couple years or maybe three years together, like both being vegan together. And a friend had that I made a friend of someone at my job. I was a cashier at this place called Mother's Market in Orange County. And this new girl got a job there and we became friends. And she said she had just moved back from Maui, but she was also raised in Orange County. And she's like, I totally regret it. I'm getting back to Maui as soon as we can. So her and her husband. And her tickets. And I'm like, really? Like what's in Maui? And she's like, well, what's not in Maui? Like <laughs> fruit, like warm water. Like, and she just started going on to it. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Like just get away from the traffic. I would love to do that. And I started thinking about, you know, the way that I was raised, that there was just so much emphasis around me with materialism and how unfulfilling that was. And I loved the idea of raising my children in waterfalls and, you know, barefoot to where like, there's not so much materialism about what you have, but rather like your heart, you know? And so then that just stirred it in us right away. So then we, when I was pregnant with Elvis, we came to Maui to visit our friends who had just moved back and just kind of scope it out to see if we would want to live there. And we fell in love. Like just, we were like, definitely we're doing this. And, and did
0: you come to this area where we are now on the North Shore?
1: No, it was a di- totally different side of the island. Like they were on the on the west side. But we, when we got back, like we're real planners. We've always, we've been very like, especially Andrew, like super good with just, you know, planning and taking things step by step and not being like, overzealous about things. So we just, we got back to California. We're like, all right, this is our plan. We're going to get there. So we lived super minimally for, I think it was like a year and a half. And then we moved into my parents' house for six months so that we could save money on rent so that we could, that money could be our expendable income for when we moved there. And we were just super, super minimal with how we lived to make sure we wouldn't dip into our savings because we had been saving for years as well for when we made the move. And, you know, this isn't even about like, oh, Hawaii is the place. There's so many beautiful places in the world. You know, it's not just Hawaii. And I think sometimes people hear my story and be like, oh, yeah, I want to go to Hawaii. But really, like there's so many beautiful places and wherever your heart is drawn to. Like if you I feel like for me, a good message is like, you know, sticking to your guns and being like minimal with your lifestyle, like working towards your goal, working towards your plan to get what you're looking for. Can be really helpful. Like some people love the Colorado snowy mountains, you know. Some people love Australia. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, it's, it's you do you. Yeah, you know, but you've you've worked hard to to get to that lifestyle yeah. that you were aspiring to.
1: Yeah, and when we first got here, too, Andrew was working like fifty hours a week at a grocery store as a grocery buyer, and also as a zipline tour guide. There's a lot of like jobs and tourism and stuff, and he was working a lot because we really didn't want to dip into our savings, and so we were just making ends meet, like barely spending any money and just got the cheapest rent possible we could possibly find. You know, we were doing that for a while until, you know, what I'm doing now with my business like took off and now we're just so grateful for all we did to like get to where we are today. Yeah.
0: And when you when you were here and, and Andrew was re- working really hard, was, was Maui sort of everything that you had thought it was going to be? Like, did, did you ever have points where you were like, oh, maybe we'll move back to California or did it just always feel right?
1: It always felt right for us. Like I never, ever wanted to go back, even though he worked a lot, we still were just like so happy to be outside in the sunshine and to be able to go to the warm water beach and, you know, no more traffic and stuff like that. That really was, we were just like, this is home for us. We knew it always.
0: Okay. So let's, let's talk about a little bit more about your family and pregnancy, Mm -hmm. breastfeeding, being a mother, because- all of these things are, are so so important we were talking before um, this podcast that there are a lot of mothers out there who are mother plant based or looking looking to eat more plants and unfortunately sometimes they don't get the best experience with sort of traditional medical care and that's not anyone's fault in particular but sometimes the information's just not there mm-hmm. um, and and these mothers can feel can be left to feel like they're doing something wrong or they are just you know they're not 100% confident so that's why I think this conversation is so, so important because you are a living proof of someone that has has the experience in, in these areas. And it's great to always share personal experience.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: So going into, you mentioned that you were pregnant with Elvis when you came here? Yeah. Yeah. So going into- No,
1: sorry. I was pregnant with Elvis when we came to visit Maui, but we didn't move here until Elvis was like a year old.
0: Okay. so you were So you had Elvis in Orange County? Yeah. I guess going into that pregnancy as a, a plant based mother, mm. what was your experience like? Were you were you nervous? Were you were your health practitioners you know op- open to the idea that you were doing it, or were you were they expressing any concern?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't seek out traditional medical care. I got a midwife because we had home births. All three of my births were from home births, and. My personal experience is that the midwives I've been in contact with tend to be a little like a little bit more open-minded to alternative type of lifestyles and stuff. So we found our midwife. She was super supportive of it. And I was really confident in it because I know that I had healed my ailments through eating a vegan diet. And to me, it made the most logical sense to eat a whole foods, plant-based diet, focus my diet on whole fresh plant foods. And I didn't even, I've never actually even read a vegan pregnancy book. (laughs) Like I've never read a like a nutrition pregnancy book. There's at least back then there really wasn't that much out there that I knew of. Like I had seen a couple, you know, plant-based or raw food moms online type of thing. But other than that, it was really like just my strong intuition and understanding of understanding of nutrition because even though they aren't there weren't that many books talking about vegan pregnancy, I had seen a lot of books about vegan nutrition and through these plant-based doctors and, you know, nutritional biochemists like Thomas Camill and all those things. And of course if it's healthy for my body when I'm not pregnant it's healthy for me when I'm growing a baby as well. You know, so that was just like a real strong intuition and when I had my midwife she was real supportive of it so that just felt good too.
0: So I guess leading into your pregnancy and during your pregnancy what types of foods were you concentrating on and did did the food sort of volume or did anything change while you were pregnant compared to before?
1: Yeah, definitely the volume changes like eating eating more then you ate before you were pregnant is um, vital and super wonderful, of course, for when you're pregnant because you're growing a baby, so you need you need more calories to to grow your baby. So it's pretty much like what I was eating before, but just eating more of it. But also like there's aversions when you're pregnant and stuff. So like I think every one of my pregnancies were like a little different, but real like going with the flow and also like gravitating towards just focusing on fresh fruits and vegetables as well. Like we did a lot of green smoothies and flax flax crackers and stuff with like hummus. I, I ate a lot of flax crackers and hummus when I was pregnant with Elvis. <laughs> Every pregnancy is a little different, you know, but yeah. And then as well as like supplementing wise, like green powders, I love barley grass juice powder, put that in my smoothies, whether I'm pregnant or not, but I especially focus on it when I'm pregnant and uh, the for the omega threes, like hemp seeds, chia seed, flax seeds, like those are wonderful things. And I, I definitely recommend those for pregnant mothers to add those to their smoothies or to their salads and whatnot, that type of thing.
0: And were you, outside of that, were you taking any other supplements like B12 or multivitamins or anything else?
1: Uh, B12. I think, I think with my first pregnancy, I took a multivitamin because my midwife had recommended it. And then by the second and third one, I was like, I really felt like barley grass juice powder and Hawaiian spirulina was like sufficient for me. So that's all I took for the, for the other two, but definitely B12 for all three pregnancies. And we take B12 even when we're not pregnant and the kids take it as well.
0: Kids take it. Okay. How do, what what sort of format is that that they take? Is that like a dropper or is it a spray or?
1: Yeah, I get the um vegan safe global healing B twelve tincture. You can get it on Amazon and just a couple of drops.
0: And they take that daily or?
1: Yeah, yeah, I give it to them in the morning.
0: That's cool. Do yeah. they ask questions like why why do I why do I take that or?
1: Yeah, we just tell them it's B twelve. It's you know it's good for them and we explain like what B twelve is and how we're supposed to be making it in our own bodies. It's supposed to be in the soil and stuff, but. It's not really in the soil as much in plant foods as much because the soils, we've depleted it as a human species. So we take it as like a a insurance type of thing.
0: And and how old are your kids now?
1: Elvis is six turning seven (laughs) next month. That's why I was like, wait, is he six or seven? He's been talking about his birthday like every day. So he's turning seven next month and Sandy is three and then Scout is seven months. Okay.
0: So Scout's a little young, but the other two are probably asking questions and whatnot. It's pretty cool that they, your. Teaching about these things so so young, right?
1: Totally. Yeah, I think it's so important. I feel like food sustainability and like learning about where your food comes from and how to grow your own food is like so important. It should be in education. It should be in standard education. I really do think it should be.
0: Now, I want to ask you a few sort of, I guess, deeper questions around pregnancy and birth. Did you did you have natural births? Was it like cesarean or normal?
1: Uh, Yes, I had natural births at home home yep. birth. So they were unmedicated and Elvis and Sandy's birth were like 24 hours and 26 hours long. Sandy's birth was, or Scout's birth was much shorter, only eight hours long, but yeah, start to finish. That's how it was. Yay. Birth birthing tub in our living room all three times. Yeah. Wow. yeah it's amazing. So I wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: And where do you, where do you sit on sort of um, delaying cord clamping or the encapsulating the placenta, that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, delayed cord clamping. We definitely wait until it stops pulsing for all three of them. The midwives um, naturally wanted to do that anyways and that made sense to me. So we did that for for that as well until the cord stops uh, pulsing. And for Scout, it didn't stop pulsing for like an hour and a half. And I was just sitting in the birthing tub for an hour and a half, like holding her and the placenta's like right there for that long. And then it stopped and then we, all right, it's done. Time to get out now. So that's what we did. That. Uh, for the placenta, I don't know. I feel very back and forth about the whole placenta eating thing. I feel like, It's definitely nothing. It's not something I feel super strong either way about the first time my midwife was like, do you want to eat the placenta? And I was like, um, no, I don't want to do that. But then Andrew was like, well, we should keep it. I'm like, why, why do you want to keep it? I don't know. I was just in a place where I was like, why do you want to, what do you want to do with it? He's like, I don't know. Let's put it in the freezer. So we put it in the freezer and then I was like, what are you going to do with this? And we didn't have like a garden or anything to plant it in at the time. And he's like, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. But then he never ended up doing anything with it. And it was in the freezer for a really long time. I think eventually he threw it away. Second time around, my I had a different midwife this time because we were in Maui. And she was like, Yeah, you should you could eat the placenta. It's really good for you. And I'm like, really? I don't know. But then I like researched it, seemed like, yeah, it seems like it might be really good for me. So actually, Andrew in the second one chopped up like chunks of the placenta and put it in my smoothie for the first like two months after birth, like just little chunks every single day. But then over that time, I kind of got sick of it. Like I could taste it by the end. Through yeah. <laughs> so, like irony and like not good. So then he threw it away towards the end. The third time, I just like intuitively felt like I didn't want it, so we didn't have any have it at all. And also, like I've read some conflicting information, like saying that the placenta holds the toxins that come from your food. So it's not necessarily like good for you or people say the placenta is good for you because it has all the minerals. So I don't
0: really so know. So the jury's out. You're sort of here and all that.
1: Yeah. Here and there. But I, d- I will say the first time I was real, like after giving birth, I didn't take the placenta. I was real emotional really up and down, like, you know, but that could also have to do just because it was my first time having a baby. And it feels like a train hits you in the face where you're like, whoa, I just I'm waking up every two hours. I can't even go to the bathroom when I want to go to the bathroom. What is happening with my life? Like it's all happening so fast, you know, whereas the second time I'm used to it. I know it's coming. I've already had a baby. So I was a lot more like grounded I was not emotional actually at all. Like it was really, I mean, like emotional happy I was, but I was real even killed and really like. A
0: bit more prepared.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if that had to do, like someone could say, well, it's because you took the placenta at that time, but maybe it was just because it was my second time around. Who knows? I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> but third time around, I didn't take the placenta and I also felt really even killed as well.
0: And I know there's, there's a bit of information out there about vegan babies and and whether they are going to weigh in small or are they going to weigh in at the normal range? What what experience did you have with your kids?
1: Yeah. My personal experience is that that was not the case. Elvis and Sandy were eight pounds and eight pounds, one ounce. And Scout was almost nine pounds at birth. And I really think that it, so much of that has to do with genetics. Like some people have smaller babies. Some people have bigger babies. Of course you want a healthy baby in a healthy range and eating sufficient calories is so important for that. You know, if you're pregnant and you're going through the day and like not that many foods sound good to you, and then you just don't end up eating that much food like that is definitely not healthy for you. I definitely recommend eating like high calorie foods throughout your day, focusing on the foods that do taste good to you and eating them in abundance. Like for me, sweet potatoes is a wonderful source of calories, potatoes, sweet potatoes, bananas, although when I'm pregnant, bananas do not sound good to me. So I'll go with other fruits that sound really good to me, like mango and orange juice. and I'll eat a lot of that and a lot of greens as well. But remember that greens don't have that many calories. So you need to eat the foods that have high calories to grow your baby, like beans, quinoa, all those types of things. Um, Or if you're eating a raw food diet, then you need to eat a lot of fruit, you know, which I did eat a largely raw food diet with my first two. So, yeah, I I think that's really important. And I think that like people saying, oh, this baby's small. It must be because your baby's eating a vegan diet or whatever but then this baby's big and this baby is vegan, eating a vegan diet. There's smaller and bigger mm. kids on all spectrums, no matter what diets are, you know, a lot of it. I think genetics play a lot into it.
0: Sure. And I think, you know, you mentioned smoothies before, like there's neat ways where like if you're struggling, just chewing and eating a lot of food, like you can sneak in quite high calorie smoothies yep. as well, right?
1: For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Now after, so in the sort of postpartum stage, what, were, what was your experience like, you know, emotionally?
1: Well, each one was like a little different. Do you mean for all of them?
0: Yeah. I mean, you can go through. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I think especially Elvis was so, it was really hard with the first one. Like no matter how many people told me, like, it's going to be hard. I just, I was in this like list out, like I'm pregnant with my baby. I cannot wait to meet my baby. And just kind of not really thinking about how hard it would actually be. But it was really, really hard for us. You know, like we're used to getting a full night's sleep every night. And then suddenly your baby's waking up every, you have a baby now and your baby's waking up every couple hours. And then. We're trying to figure out breastfeeding and emotionally it was really draining.
0: Did you feel like a mother straight away or was it, did it take, take like a few weeks or a month to go, yep, I'm,
1: I'm now a mother. No, I definitely (laughs) felt like a mother right away. Like as soon as the bait, my baby was like put onto my chest, it was like a miracle. Like feeling like holding my baby for the first time was like nothing else. It was like the most euphoric moment of my life. And like, we were just so blissed out on that. Um, but that, but when it all settles in, it is very hard, especially if you don't have support. So I always recommend to get as much support as you can and to like, not be afraid to ask for help, you know, cause it is hard in the beginning when you're trying to figure out breastfeeding for the first time and just being woken up a lot at night. And you know, there, it was like, I was the first one to have a baby out of my friends. And so I went out, went to like a, a it was like a Christmas party and I had Elvis, who was like a month old and he was crying and my friends are like, why is he crying? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out, <laughs> you know, because it's like your first time. But second and third time around, it just feels so, for me, it felt just so easy, such an easier transition, you know, because you understood what you're
0: getting. You'd be a lot more confident, right?
1: Yeah. And I guess like I felt really confident as a mother, but it just felt so overwhelming, like to where before, and that, like, I never really thought about it when you would sit down and eat a meal to yourself. I never really appreciated or what's the word? Like really understood how awesome that was to be able to eat a meal like in peace and then after having a baby it's like you're in the middle of a meal and then your baby needs you or depending on how old your baby is your baby is reaching for the food or your baby's crying for you and you just laid her down for sleep or whatever mm. and then you begin to appreciate how wonderful it is to be able to eat a meal in peace and because mm. well, now having kids you know it really is your
0: priority right yeah. <laughs> yeah totally and what was your your personal recovery like physical recovery mm-hmm. like after your pregnancies
1: Well, the first one, I I tore a little bit. So my midwife gave me a couple stitches. So that actually took me six full weeks to heal to where I was like uncomfortable sitting down. But the second and third time was totally different because I had a different, well, actually my first midwife, she did tell me when I was pushing, like slow down, don't push out so hard. But I just wanted to get that baby out. because I was like, I'm over this. Then 26 hours, get this baby out of me. But when it came to Sandy and Scout's birth, I was in Hawaii, I had a different midwife and I told her I really didn't want to tear like before I gave birth. I'm like, I really don't want to tear because it was so annoying to like feel uncomfortable sitting down and I wanted to heal from it quicker. I mean, I could walk around and it was fine, but it did hurt. It it was uncomfortable. So she's like, I know she's like my midwife that was in Maui is like this really old woman. She's been practicing midwifery for like 30 years. She was even like a midwife in Somalia helping women give birth for like a decade. Wow. She's amazing. And she's like, oh yeah, I know exactly how to help you so that you don't tear. She's like, this is what you're going to do. And she told me how to breathe in a certain way to where your body naturally, like, because you're, it's like an urge. I don't mean to get graphic, but like when you're giving birth, it's like the urge to go poop. Like you just, it's, you know, you just go and you have to go when, you know, when you go and then you're going to go. And when it comes to giving birth, your body like involuntarily is like, this baby is coming out and you like naturally have these urges to push, especially if you're not on any medication you're like, wow, I have to push right now. And it's like an involuntary type of push. But the harder that you push, the quicker your baby comes out. And then the skin is is more likely to tear because it's supposed to go really, really slowly. And if it goes really slow, then you're not going to tear. You're much less likely to tear. Whereas what I've seen in hospitals, I haven't personally experienced, but talking to women, so many doctors actually don't tell them this information and tell them to like push as hard as they can. And then they end up having tears all the way up to their to their anus, and then they have to have these huge, huge stitches, you know. Whereas midwives tend Ouch. to care a lot more about. We don't want to have to give you stitches. We want you to have to not have to go through that. That's just my been my experience through talking with people. But my yeah, my midwife basically was like, "You need to like breathe up when you're when you're pushed. When you have to push, you breathe <laughs> like that." And it sounded really weird. And she was explaining that. But when it came time to it, I was about to push, and and she's like, "Okay, start breathing that way." And I'm like, "I don't care. I don't care." She's like, "Ellen." you're gonna care. Just trust me because when you're in the moment, you know, you've been I've been in such intense pain for 24 hours. I'm like, I don't care right now, just get this baby out of me. But she like reminded me, you're gonna care. Like, please let me help you so that you don't tear. So she like coached me how to breathe and Sandy ended up coming out in less time, it only took 20 minutes, not 40 minutes. Yet I didn't tear at all because I breathed in the way that she told me and within 2 days I was feeling completely back to normal. But that being said, and same with Scout too, like I had no stitching, no tears for either of them. And I felt totally back to normal, no pain at all, no pain when you're peeing, none of that. But that being said, like it's really easy for women to feel like you're supposed to be super woman and like, oh, I can walk around now. I'm perfect. I can just keep walking and it's great. But really you're supposed to be resting as much as you can for the first six weeks. You're supposed to be letting everyone do everything for you. And I feel like there's not enough emphasis on that. And I think that's really, really important to let, let your partner, advice. let your mom, let everybody bring you meals like nobody should be relax bringing, a little bit, relax, uh, like completely, like yeah. don't even get up, like unless it's for your baby or if you're going to go pee, like to go to the bathroom, everyone should be doing everything for you. And my midwives have also said, like, don't let anybody into your house in those first like four to six weeks unless they're bringing you food or they're doing your laundry. Like your baby is for you. This is for you and your partner. If you have a partner for your time with the baby. This is not for them. You know, they're supposed to be taking care of you.
0: It's, it sounds like it's incredibly important if you're having a natural birth to make sure that you're you're finding a midwife that you really connect with who can coach you through this.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I really recommend like doing your research to get an educated midwife. Don't just pick anyone up on the street who says they're a midwife. Like, of course you need like a licensed midwife. This is what I re- definitely recommend. Someone who's licensed. I personally like the, the CPM midwife certified professional midwives, but some people really like the the nurse midwives as well. So I think that's really important, you know, for safety wise, you want to have someone who's really well-educated and experienced.
0: And you mentioned in that first six weeks of recovery postpartum, how important it is that you are relaxing. Mm -hmm. Did you place any particular emphasis on the foods that you were eating and and nourishing your body?
1: Oh yeah. Especially like breastfeeding gives you so much hunger. Like you're so much hungrier when you're breastfeeding in those first weeks than you are when you're pregnant. It's amazing how different it is. Like you're like a bottomless pit. You could just keep eating and eating and eating. And you should just let your partner or your spouse or your friend or your sister keep making you food over and over and over again. <laughs> so I would eat large, large volumes of smoothies, lots and lots of banana smoothies and with greens in it, lots of nourishing foods. And then my husband would make me big salads and tons of potatoes and whatever Whatever your friends are bringing you, like plant-based foods, I eat <laughs> in large volumes.
0: So- you mentioned breastfeeding. Let's yeah. jump into that. It's yeah. a very important. It's very interesting topic. And I know that you have a lot to say about mm-hmm. it. What, In general, what was your experience like breastfeeding your children?
1: Uh, the first one was really hard. I felt like it was so much harder than I thought it would be. I thought it would just be this really easy, natural thing, but it really is a learned thing. And you need, for most people need coaching and help and help and education and resources and support. So I wrote this really long blog post. Maybe you can link it
0: yeah, sure. I've been the show Yeah, notes.
1: on your site. Yeah. The a tip for successful breastfeeding blog post. I spent so many hours on this blog post and I wrote every single tip down that I've learned over the years that has really helped me to become successful to breastfeed all three of my children. And yeah, I, so many people have told me that it like helped them a lot to where they thought they weren't going to be able to breastfeed or they got to a place where they thought they were going to have to stop. And then they learned some things on that blog post that helped them see, oh, things weren't actually what they thought it was. This is what I could do to help me get mm. my milk supply up and all that type of thing. So,
0: so, so with Elvis, you just alluded to the fact that it was difficult at the start. How did you work through that? What did you do to, to like get good supply
1: and, mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah, just navigate your way through that.
1: Well, I naturally, mo- the thing is most women have ample supply. Like if you're, especially if you're given, had a natural birth to where, and to where you're close with your baby, your body will start producing milk within the first few days because you have colostrum in the beginning and then your milk supply will come in. And most, and most of the time it should be an overabundant supply because your body is trying to learn and regulate how much does my body need to make? It's a supply and demand relationship. So as much as your baby sucks, is how much your body will learn to make and learns how much to make. So but for me, what I did was I hired a lactation consultant. I had my, it came to my house for a couple of days and I called my midwife anytime I had a question. For me, it was about the latching part that was hard. I always had a harder time latching and I was like, how do I get him to latch and breastfeed? Right, I have the milk, but like, how, what am I doing? So it was really hard to figure that out. But the, the lactation consultant really helped with that. And the other aspect was that I didn't have anything, any other priorities because everyone else was taking care of me. I was able to focus on that and figure out how to breastfeed. Whereas if I was really busy and didn't have the support, didn't have anyone making me food, I'd have to spend my energy on that. And I didn't have people bringing me large glasses of water all the time. Then maybe my milk supply wouldn't be as good because you're not able to focus on that and you're not getting enough water to make the milk and all that type of thing. So yeah, that's pretty much what happened. But the second and third one, they latched really easily and some babies just have a harder time latching than others. So partly it as well.
0: And you just mentioned that you were sort of able to relax and, mm-hmm. and not be too stressed out. So you're sort of suggesting that stress plays a role.
1: In- stress plays a huge role. Absolutely. Because if you're really stressed and clamped up in your body, your body is going to have a harder time letting down the milk. And one time I remember in the middle of the night, Elvis was just like a week old or something. And I called my midwife and I was like, I don't understand. This is so hard. Like he's been trying to breastfeed for like two hours and I'm sore on my bottom because I was still healing and I'm like so uncomfortable and I'm like crying and I'm like, nothing's coming out, but like my breasts are really full. What do I do? And she's like, Ellen, take a deep breath. Like go wake up, Andrew, give Elvis to Andrew right now. Go take a shower, sit, go pee, go do something that you need to do and just relax for a moment, get centered and come back and try again. Like your milk will come down. You need to have confidence in yourself, have confidence in yourself and not stress out about it. And as soon as I did that, like that's what happened. (laughs) Like I relaxed and everything started working. You know, I had a letdown. He started latching better and it was just so much better. Because your baby can sense your energy as well. So if you're really stressed out about that, that's gonna make it harder to have a relaxing breastfeeding experience.
0: Did you ever or have you ever expressed? as
1: well. huh. Yeah. Back when I had Elvis, I was still working as a waitress at a restaurant. So when Elvis was three months old, I went back to work part-time about 20 hours a week. So what I did was I started pumping my milk once a day in the mornings, every single morning when he was about, I think it was like a month old. I don't know. It was a long time ago. But I think that's what I was doing. So by the time that it was three, he was three months old and I had to go back to work, I already had a full freezer full of milk. So every single day morning I pumped and I have in that blog post, a whole section on pumping tips where it says exactly how to get as much milk out as you can so that, so that you have. Okay. That's cool. Black. Was
0: that something the midwife had recommended?
1: I don't remember. Maybe. I think so. Probably. Yes.
0: And the milk, it just stays fresh having it in the freezer. In the, we in have it in the freezer. freezer.
1: Yeah, yeah. It lasts a few months at least. And you just date each one. So you know which one to take first. So I had a full freezer of milk every morning. I pumped out like six to eight ounces of milk. And so by that time, your body learns to make an extra six ounces, six to eight ounces of milk. And that's what I did with the second and third babies is I still did that anyways, even though I didn't go back to work. I donated all that milk is that because I taught my, my body to produce extra milk than I needed, more than I needed. And so I donated it to other mothers in need. And I, I'm such a huge advocate for that to help so that we can all like help each other in like the parent community for those who need milk. But what I did basically is I had the freezer full of milk and then I would go to work. And as a waitress, we didn't really have any break time. There really wasn't a way for me to like pump like at work because you're like waitressing for a full four to six hours. So I would go into the bathroom and just hand express a little bit to relieve like any kind of like fullness in there. But if you had a longer, a longer shift, like that was longer than six hours by California law, you were supposed to have a 30 minute break. And also by California law, I don't know if you know this, but you're supposed to have every single workplace is supposed to have have a separate room for breastfeeding, like for pumping. It's like by law, but as a restaurant, they didn't have that. They were supposed to, but they didn't. But the man, I told the managers, like, I have to pump like this is I'm demanding it because this is really important for me. I need to be pumping so that my breasts keep making enough milk for my baby. So they ended up giving me that their office, like in the middle of the shift. It was totally embarrassing, but it was worth it to me because there was like cameras in the office, but I would just turn away from it like so that the office like they couldn't see anything and then they had to get the keys from all the managers to make sure no one would come in when I was pumping but for me it was worth it because I whatever is your priority you will make work you know what I mean
0: so you you would pump while you're at work and then put that into the freezer at work and take it home yep mm-hmm and just in terms of, you we're talking about the supply and the demand. Yeah. Right? So that demand can be either from the baby or pumping. It's the same thing.
1: It is technically the same thing, but it's not as efficient. Pumping is not as efficient as, as breastfeeding itself. So if you're going to try to pump for all of your feeds, my experience from other mothers telling me that they, their supply doesn't stay up as high. But if you're just doing it once a day or twice a day, Uh, after I was done at the shift, I would go home and I would pump again because I was so full because Elvis didn't breastfeed for six hours because he was with his dad. So he was getting the milk from the freezer. Then when I get home, I would pump again and put that in the freezer for the next day. So it just works. You know what I mean? But if you try to pump for every single feed, it's not not as efficient and your body can tell the difference.
0: For each of your kids, how long were you breastfeeding for exclusively? Mm -hmm. And when did they start? When did you start introducing foods? And then when did you remove breast milk, I guess, all together from their diet, if you have it
1: all. Yeah. So I started all of them on solid foods at like around seven or eight months old, but really just a few bites here and there. It's real just natural because they don't have that many teeth yet. And a lot of people will make purees and stuff like that, but I feel like it makes more sense to do like a baby lead weaning type of thing where you let them play with the food. Because really when they're reaching for foods at six to eight months, A lot of times babies, sure, they do want to eat food, but a lot of times it's just for play and learning and they want to see what it feels like. What does it taste like? It's not like because they're naturally trying to eat a ton of solid food. So we give, we'll do like little bits of sliced avocado at that age to try to like touch a little bit. They can have little sips of our smoothie or whatever we're Mushy, soft stuff. Yeah, soft stuff that they can play with or even like a cucumber, but be right there to like watch and make sure they're not getting huge chunks in their mouth and that type of thing. But they didn't really start. None of my babies actually really cared to eat a lot of solid food until about 13 or 14 months. So Elvis and Sandy, Scout's not there yet, but 13 it's, or 14 it seems months seems
0: quite old. common, right? Like, I know that they say, they, I think they say that you can start introducing solid food from around six months, right? Birth well, from, sometimes they even like, say four, four months. Four to six months, right? Yeah. But it seems like every mother that I speak to is like, my nah. kid just was not interested. Exactly. In solid
1: and, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, the, the, it's really misinformation. Like, and then mothers get scared too. Like, oh no. My baby is not eating that much solid yeah, food. Why is He's nine wrong? months old. What's wrong with him? He just wants breast milk. That is totally normal. It is totally normal for your baby to just want breast milk for well over a year, even some babies, even longer than that. You know,
0: And it's like the best source of nutrition that they can
1: have. It is absolutely. And when you really think about, they don't have that much teeth. So before blenders were invented, you know, like what, what were babies really eating? They're just having breast milk until they're able to actually chew things. So that's just something to keep in mind. Don't worry about it. Just like relax about it. As long as your baby is getting plenty of calories from breast milk, then they're getting all the nutrition that they need, especially if you're eating a really healthy diet and supplementing with B12 for yourself. It goes to your breast milk. And then just at 13 or 14 months old, they started to actually be able to chew more things and want to eat. Then they would be excited to eat foods and eat more than just like a little nibble here and there. And then Elvis stopped breastfeeding. He kind of naturally weaned himself at like 26 months or 27 months old. Sandy is still having a little bit of breast milk. He's three. He's over three now. So he's yeah, almost three and a half, but he really only has breast milk maybe a few times a week. He's like kind of weaning himself now at this point. And St. San- a scout
0: is just full time breastfeeding. And for for mothers that are that are listening who may be having issues with their own supply, or maybe they're maybe they're pregnant now and they're thinking about breastfeeding. Yeah. If someone has an issue with the supply, what's sort of the I guess the troubleshooting steps that you recommend for mothers to ensure that their child is getting adequate nutrition?
1: Yeah. Oh, adequate nutrition or adequate breast milk. Are you talking about breast milk? Yeah. Breast milk. Yeah. Well, like in the blog post, I talk about all those tips, but something that's really important is like lowering your stress, eating enough calories. That is so, so important. A lot of times I'll talk to a mother who feels like they're not making enough milk. And I'm like, how many calories are you eating? And then when they really sit down to think about it, like, oh, I'm not eating enough. Or how much water are you drinking? Drinking a lot of water, getting support to where you can relax with your baby. And also there's so many troubleshooting examples as they age. So let's say in the first few months, you're like, okay, I've established a supply. I feel confident in it. You know, I'm getting enough. I'm getting enough milk because the mass majority of mothers, if given the right support and education and eating enough calories and drinking enough water should be totally fine to be making ample amounts of milk, plenty of milk. It's supply and demand relationship. You, like I said before. So your body wants to make enough. And there's a reason why when you first give birth a few days after that, your body makes an oversupply because your body is like, I know how to make a lot, right? Like if you had twins, Have, have I had twins or not? Okay. There's only this much sucking, so I don't need to make as much. You get what I'm saying? So, but a lot of times, sometimes they'll be like, oh, my eight month old baby is refusing breast milk. She doesn't want any more milk. And now my milk supply is going away. Maybe my baby wants to wean that's a lot of like misinformation where someone thinks that's what's happening when really that's not what's happening. And I talk about that in the blog post as well, about how basically around six to eight months, sometimes it could be even at four months of age, babies start to get really, especially, yeah, I think it's more like four months because the Scout has already gone through that. They get really distracted by the things around them because they can start to see things more. They can start to see and hear and understand things more. So then they want breast milk, but then they hear their brother screaming and they're like, what? around. They want breast milk and then they hear a loud noise or they see something exciting and then they don't yeah. want to breastfeed. So it's not because they actually don't want breast milk and their body's refusing your boob. It's because they need to be taken into a really quiet, really dark place and then they'll eat just fine.
0: Yeah, they're like, they're like, hang on, there's there's more
1: to this world than, yeah, this, yeah, just, than just, just the boob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you just really have to take care to find the time to be alone in a dark, quiet space. They should be just fine breastfeeding more and it's back to normal. Yeah.
0: And I guess further to that, if 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 someone's continuing to, to have problem after problem, they're mm-hmm. not getting the supply, yep. what are your tips? Is it to go and see other practitioners? Where do you sit on things like donor milk?
1: Yeah, I definitely am a huge advocate for donor milk. That's one of the reasons, actually the main reason why I donate my breast milk and I talk about it online because I want other mothers who are able to breastfeed and are in good situations and feel inspired to do so to you know, create extra supply so that they can donate it to other mothers in need. And a lot of times the mothers that I end up donating to are women who are in this a tricky spot or they're going back to work or they're finding it hard to figure out how to pump enough milk. And they're like, oh, I feel like I'm not going to have enough. So I'm able to give them milk. And then I'm like, I give them the tips. And then a week later, they're like, oh, thank you for those tips. Now I'm pumping enough. So it's like just that education to be able to help each other. I gave her some milk. She learned she was able to like use that in the time while she's trying to figure out how to pump enough. Milk for when she goes back to work. Or another situation when I was breastfeeding Sandy, a mother that I, that I gave milk to, I gave her over a thousand ounces of milk because she got in a situation where she thought her baby wasn't getting enough milk. So she started doing the bottle so she could see how much milk he got. So then she started pumping and then giving him the bottle. And over a month or so, he wouldn't, or a couple months, he wouldn't take the breast anymore because the bottle is, comes out faster. So then she got in a situation where she had to just pump and she wasn't making enough through pumping because pumping isn't as efficient as breastfeeding. So that was a situation she, she was in and I was able to give her a lot of milk for the first year of his life. And then the second baby was around, she understood what to do next time and then didn't have that problem. So a lot of it has to do with just education and support. And then the other times where like if a woman has severe mastitis and has to get surgery, that would be an example where a woman definitely needs. Donor milk because she's unable to breastfeed on one side, so you're able, to, we're able to help a mother in that way. So if you're in a situation where you're not making enough milk, you're feeling like you really need some donor milk, or whatever situation that you're in. Let's say you find yourself in a situation where you're not breastfeeding anymore, but you want to give your baby breast milk, or you're wondering what's the best alternative. Breast milk from another mother is definitely the best alternative to your own breast milk. So you can go to humanmilkforhumanbabies.com or go to the Facebook location nearest you of Human Milk for Human Babies. And then you can connect with other mothers in your location to where you can get donor milk from.
0: And is it fairly, fairly accessible for most mothers?
1: Uh, I don't know about other countries, but definitely in America, it is for for most uh, areas. There's, you should be able to connect with someone. I don't know. I mean, I don't know every town if that's yeah. really accessible, but in a lot of areas, it's really a really good way to, to get donor milk.
0: So it sounds like you would like to see most mothers really try and work through and get their own supply, right? And, Absolutely. And, 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 and go through that and look at multiple factors that may be contributing to an undersupply. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's why I'm going to have that link to your blog, which sounds very comprehensive. And if that sort of fails, I mean, I don't like to use the word fails, but yeah. if, if for some reason supply isn't there, then look for donor milk. Absolutely. Where do you sit in terms of formula? We see TV ads all the time for, for baby formula. Is there, is there a place for formula?
1: I mean, I I definitely think obviously fed is best. A baby needs to be fed. So if like that's the situation that you're in, there is no judgment there and you should fully just like love yourself through all of it. Whether you feel like you failed through breastfeeding, whatever happens, like it's okay. And what matters most is that your baby is fed. But I definitely like for me, when people say, what do you recommend if a baby, if a mother cannot breastfeed, breast milk from another mother is absolutely the best. So that's something that I would like to see grow more so that it becomes an easier, you know, option for, and becomes more available so that that can be the second thing that you go to if you can't breastfeed. Because currently, I don't think there's enough breast milk being made extra to donate that, sh- that can take care of everyone's needs for women who are not, or for families who are not breastfeeding. You know, so I would like us to get to that way so that it can be in a really easily accessible thing so that we're all support each other in like a parent community.
0: So you, you just don't think there's enough women donating at the moment?
1: Definitely not. Yeah, yeah there's definitely not.
0: Okay, I'd like to just jump a little bit across to your kids and their nutrition. We've just spoken about their sort of introduction to solid foods and and how that was different times and you started feeding them things like avocado and sort of softer things and smoothies. How did that journey look like from there until where they are now? What what did you sort of slowly introduce?
1: fresh fruits and vegetables is like, our my definitely go-to for the first few years of life, of course, as like a staple in their diet, because you can't go wrong with fresh organic fruits and vegetables. And also like your children's palates are forming, especially in those first few years of life. So a lot of times, you know, parents might find that their child doesn't want to eat just plain fruits and vegetables, you know, quote unquote, plain, because It's really just what your taste buds are used to. So if a child is used to processed crackers with a lot of salt and a lot of flavorings on it or like uh, chips and that type of things or things with a lot of different additives to it, you know, the packaged kid foods that we see everywhere nowadays, it has so much flavor, unnatural amounts of flavor that we don't find in nature that, of course, that their taste buds aren't going to enjoy simple tastes of fresh fruits and vegetables.
0: It's hard to compete.
1: Right. If you're, if you're used to these packaged processed foods that have so many flavors and additives to it. But when you really think about our natural design, eating just whole plant foods and how natural that is for us, if you start your child on, that, on those foods, they will love those foods and they will have the natural desire for those foods. So for me, it's all about like being the example, what's in your house, having ample options for abundance of fresh produce, sweet potatoes, potatoes, Fresh fruits and vegetables are definitely like so wonderful. And avocados, coconut meat, so good. So,
0: are they, have any of them been fussy eaters or won't eat something? And how do you sort of navigate through that?
1: Uh, Well, Elvis has always been like such an easy eater. He loves everything. I mean, he loves, like so many unique flavors. He likes wasabi and pickles and, you know, he just likes awesome mustard and all that type of thing. And he he likes all the stuff that like most kids don't like. So he, he's always loved everything and started on salads at such a young age. Like I, I think he was like 14 months old where like the trick I've always tell mothers is to, you know, to help your kids to love salads from the very beginning. If you're feeding them breast milk and fresh whole plant foods as their diet and you know, not being them processed packaged foods, they will love those foods from the beginning. But of course, some children are pickier than others. Elvis was not picky. So I started on chopping the lettuce really, really tiny and adding it to guacamole. So it almost was like guacamole with super confetti sized pieces of lettuce. And he would just eat that up, like, you know, loving it. And then as he gets older, adding a little bit more lettuce, a little bit more lettuce. And then they love the way that that tastes. And, the, and before you know it, they're eating a big salad as they get older. You know, Sandy was a little bit pickier, I could tell from the beginning, you know, he might be like, mm, I don't know if I want to try that or try that. But then he would see Elvis eating salads, and he would see Elvis eating all those healthy foods, and he would be around us that we only ate really healthy foods. So over time, he'd Good be like, example. All right, I'll eat this, you know. <laughs> so now he loves salads, and he loves lettuce boats that we like add guacamole inside lettuce and top it with hemp seeds, and and they love that. Or veggie dippers, we do like bell peppers and carrots to dip to dip in hummuses, homemade hummuses or guacamole. And then they love their green smoothies. And a lot of it has to do with like for picky eaters, you let them help you in the kitchen. Children love to help. They want to be big like us. They want to be just like us. How do I be big and do big people things? So let them help in the kitchen, give them empowerment to where they feel like they can help choose what goes in their smoothie. And then before you know it, they're getting excited to put the spirulina in their smoothie. And my kids like lick the spirulina off the spoon, which like I wouldn't do, but they like that. And then they love their green smoothies because they helped make it themselves. Children are so much more likely to enjoy fruits and vegetables that they get to help make it and prepare it.
0: What, what are some of the, I guess, more calorie dense meals? I know there would be some, some mothers or parents listening that have perhaps gone and seen their doctor and the doctor's like, you know, one of the things with a vegan diet is- yeah. And when you're not eating these meats and animal products, which are very calorie dense, yeah. you know, the baby might not be eating enough calories and might not be growing big enough. Yeah. What, what are some of the really calorie dense meals that you'd make?
1: Yeah. Calories are so important. And also all these foods that I'm talking about, like children zero to three years old, I recommend like having breast milk along with that. So they're getting like the ample healthy fats and calories with that. But healthy, cal- like healthy staples for high calorie dense foods, sweet potatoes are such good ones and squashes and potatoes. Beans as well, quinoa, those are those are wonderful foods for young children that are high calorie and dense. I mean, I think I honestly think that like potatoes and sweet potatoes are the healthiest cooked food. Like what's the healthiest whole plant food that's cooked? And like squashes. Yeah. So focusing on those and coconut meat, the fats, like lots of avocado. Children, most children love avocado, like a good one. I mean, every once in a while I hear of a kid who doesn't like avocado, and I'm like, Has he really had a good avocado? And
0: you can even make like, you know, really yummy, delicious desserts with avocado. Totally. So versatile. Like puddings, like vanilla
1: puddings and stuff. Kids would love that. Yeah. And, you know, everyone is in different locations. So not everyone is going to have access to like really good avocados. You know, for us, like we have amazing avocados here in Hawaii. And then there's like two months out of the year where the avocados are not very good and they're kind of watery. And my kids are like, Whoa, I do not want that. Like they're like avocado connoisseurs, you know? That must be a sad month. <laughs> I know. Like, it is. I'm like, what?
0: <laughs> so, well, the mangoes aren't in season right now, are they?
1: No, they're not. Well, actually, they are. Kind, of, we have a couple. They're kind of okay. going out of season right now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, sweet tropical fruits as well, like bananas. And bananas are available all across the world, like no matter what climate you're in. So adding bananas to your smoothies is a great way to get calories in. And then you can add higher fat items into their smoothies too. To get those calories mm. like hemp seeds and especially the, uh, the omega-3.
0: Exactly. Ones. By the time you blend in some hemp seeds, avocado and banana, yeah. that's, that's a high calorie. Yeah, totally,
1: totally. Yeah. Or almond butter, walnut butter, that type of thing as well, or just walnuts even. And lots of sweet potatoes, give them like large portions so that they see their plate and they're like, oh, I have all this I get to eat and display it really pretty in pretty formats. You know, it gets kids excited to eat their food. And just giving them the space so that they can have quiet time to eat and then they'll focus on it better as opposed to like a lot of distractions, but yeah.
0: And you mentioned before, so the only supplement that they would take is B12? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then the other things that like eat, technically not supplements, but like food for me that we really focus on is like the green powders and lots of greens. Like we add kale and spinach to their smoothies and add kale to their salads or chopped spinach to their salads. And then like the flax seeds, hemp seeds, chia seeds type thing.
0: And do you, do you have like plant-based milks or... That's something you buy or you make.
1: We don't really buy plant based milks. Like um, Andrew makes the most decadent, amazing coconut milk. Like it is probably my biggest perk to having him as a husband. I'm (laughs) just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But he makes the most amazing coconut milk here. And like the trick to making really good coconut milk is blending mature coconut meat with the young coconut water and then straining it. And it tastes like nothing else. Like it doesn't even compare to the canned stuff. So that's really the only milk we make that we have. We don't really
0: buy. And do do the kids eat like tempeh and tofu and things like that? Yeah,
1: actually, we do. We do eat tempeh or tofu, something like that, like once or twice a week, and the kids love it. Sandy loves tofu. Elvis loves tempeh.
0: And you mentioned before, like, so this is all whole food based stuff. Do they ever ask for junk food or like? Yeah. Go to uh, go to a friend's house or come yeah. from school and sort of ask if they can eat such and such some sort of like yeah. vegan junk food.
1: Yeah, no, that's such a good question. Like at home we keep it really whole foods based, or like if we're like, oh man, we would love to make some chocolate ice cream right now, then we'll blend like frozen ripe bananas with some cacao powder and vanilla and top it with raspberries. And that's like our dessert type of thing. But you know, we live in like a world that doesn't always eat this way. Like not everybody eats this way. And I also want my children to grow up feeling like not restricted. I want it to feel abundant, you know, that like veganism is abundant and the way that we, that they were raised is abundant, not restrictive. So when we're going out, like we have, we have a lot of friends who are vegan, but we have a lot of friends who are not vegan as well, but not that many of them eat like a really whole foods based diet. Some of them do, but not all of them. So we just, you know, keep in mind to keep, to prepare, foods that like are akin and liking to like what their other friends are eating. Like, okay, so we're going to a birthday party this weekend. It's a vegan birthday party, but there's probably going to be like chips there and other things that like we don't normally eat. So for a while, like when Elvis was younger, I would just like bring flax crackers and he would like love that. So that would be instead like, okay, they're going to have chips at the party. I'll bring flax crackers for him. And he'd be all about that. And then as he got a little bit older, you know, just like going with the flow and changing things like he wants to be able to eat the the chips or whatever. So that's really like up to his type of decision. So if he's out there at a party... And he's like, "Oh, mom, I'd like to have some chips." Mm. And I'll just be like, "Okay, you like, can do you
0: ever think them. about that? Like, whether he feels like he's missing out? Like, is that something?" That
1: you yeah, that's to? why. Like, I don't want him to feel that way. Yeah. So, like, if we're at a party and like there's chips there, and he'll be like, oh, "I want some chips," I'll be like, "Okay, that's up to you." I'll be like, "I'm not gonna eat any because I don't like the way it makes me feel." Like, and I'll just kind of explain the difference. But like, if he wants some, he can have some. I'll be like, "Maybe don't have that much, but just have a little type of thing." So he'll have a little, and he's like, "Most of the time, like, if, especially if there's like a, a vegan dessert there, like a." with like wheat and stuff like that in it, like he'll have a few bites and he's like, oh, I'm done. (laughs) You know, like like he doesn't end up wanting that much of it because he's so used to eating whole foods. And then sometimes he'll have like, you know, okay, a bunch of vegan party food at like a party. And he'll have it. And he's like, yes, it's so fun. And then later he's like, I don't feel as good this way. And it's pretty amazing that like at this age, he can tell a difference. He's already identifying. Yeah. Like, like, because when I was a kid, like I was never really taught the difference. Like you might not feel as well eating this. I mean, sure. You know, they'll say, don't eat a whole bucket of Halloween candy or you won't feel good. But for the most part, like I wasn't really taught, like these foods are healthier. These ones aren't as healthy. And so. Since he like knows that, I feel like he's just able to make more educated decisions. And so a lot of times he'll just say, you know, I don't really want that. And he'll just choose not to have it. And he will just choose the veggies and, and that mm-hmm. type of thing. And Sandy kind of goes along with what Elvis wants to do. But sometimes, you know, especially when I feel like when they're younger to so young to where they don't really understand yet, that's where we kind of as parents be like, oh, we're making helping with the decisions because that's what we do as parents to so like help make sure that they're healthy and taken care of and stuff. But once they get a little bit older, like to Elvis's age, I, I found it really helpful and to be a good relationship in that way to where he feels empowered to make his own choices.
0: Yeah. So that. you slightly step back and let him navigate a little bit. Yeah.
1: And they always want it to be vegan. Like, yeah. you know, that's not...
0: Well, that's what I, my next question was. We we're talking about vegan yeah. junk food, but would... Is Elvis sort of old enough, would he, would he always ask if he was at school or a friend's house, like, is this vegan? Does he understand?
1: He does ask. Yeah. Like, is this vegan? He'll ask things, but that's like his own thing. Like, like he, he wants to do that because he wants to stay vegan. You know, that's something that he wants to do.
0: And is that, is that because, do you think that's because it's just the way you eat at home or like, does he, Do you think he identifies with what veganism is yet?
1: Yeah, I do think he does. But I really try not to be like all about like, you know, labels of kids, that type of thing. Like, oh, we're vegan. They're not like, we definitely don't want that at all. But we simply just kind of educate what vegan is. And like, this is what mom and dad choose. Like we're vegan because we love animals and we don't want to harm them. It's good for the planet and we feel healthier. We like tell them like how we feel and stuff. And there's these awesome like kid books by uh, Ruby Roth. Have you ever heard of them? I have. yeah. Yeah, there's the... Um, A lot of mothers talk
0: about these. Yeah.
1: That's why we don't eat animals. Vegan is love and the ABCs of being kind. And they're really great tool to like show them like where their food, where food comes from. And
0: kids are kind of born with that. So I feel like they just get it right.
1: Oh, totally. I really think we are all born vegan. Like we all are born with that compassion to not want to harm animals. It isn't until we're taught. actually kind of a young age that like some animals are for petting like dogs and cats Mm. be nice to the dog be gentle to the kitty don't pull on the kitty's tail but you know the cows and the pigs and the chickens and the fish we slice their throats and we eat them like Mm. they don't say it in that graphic of term but that's really what it is
0: it's i was in byron bay recently and i won't name the place but there's a there's a place there and there's it's a it's a big cafe Mm -hmm. to the side of it is like a an animal sanctuary yeah and there's like Pigs and birds and everything. Yeah. And there's tons of kids getting photos and whatnot. Yeah. And then in the cafe, they're serving bacon. Exactly. And it's like, I was sitting there and I was like, there's just such a huge disconnect yep. here right now mm-hmm. between what's happening over here and and, and what kids feel about animals yeah. and what's being served up on our plate to adults.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially like children. Most children don't even have a clue where their food comes from. Like, of course, there's children who grew up, who do grow up on places like farms or they grow up hunting and all that type of thing. But that is still something that they're taught. At a very young age, that this is like, I talked to my mom. My mom grew up on a farm in Indiana. And she's like, Oh, yeah. Well, I grew up around it all the time. I grew up around, you know, milking the cows and, and, you know, we killed the pigs and all that type of thing. And I'm like, Well, how did that make you feel? And she's like, Well, that was just the way it was. It didn't bother me. And I'm like, Well, how did you feel like initially, like when you were younger, like young? She's like, Yeah, actually, like I loved the pigs and I would love them. And then they would take them into the room and slaughter them. And I was like so sad by it. But then over time, I just got used to it. So that just shows how much that it was like, even like from the beginning, she loved the pigs. They were her friends. And then she was like told at such a young age that, no, these are animals. These animals are only here for our food. And so then she had to, it was like a conditioning, you know? And so, so many children, you can ask like seven and eight year olds. I've done this many times. they are like, hey, do you know like what you're eating? And they're like, yeah, bacon. And I'm like, do you know what animal bacon comes from? And they're like, no. And I'm like, maybe have a guess. And someone one time was like, um, bird, horse, like they don't even really know, you know? And then you tell them it's a pig and they're like, oh, like they're sad by it. They don't, most children don't really, don't really think about it at all because parents are, I mean, I didn't know. I wish someone had told me sooner, you know?
0: Yeah, same. And then it's like, it becomes the norm because you, you don't know, you don't have the connection. You consume it for so long. Mm -hmm. By the time you do have that you do develop like a little bit of a connection that you're eating an animal. You, it's just the norm,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, and it's not until you dig deeper, 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 and really look at where the animal's coming from. Exactly. Where you start to question, hang on, yeah. is this the right thing to do?
1: Totally. And I, and, and if they're from a very young age, from the start only fed vegan foods, you know, you say only, but really that's like the most abundant. I feel like it's so abundant to like feed, to live a vegan lifestyle. And then there's, you know, so, well, this, is, this isn't vegan. This ha- is from animals. Do you want to eat animals? And they're like, no, why would I, I want to eat animals? <laughs> you know, it's like, that sounds weird. Why are you even asking me that? It's so you pure.
0: Yeah. Like this, that, <laughs> so, yeah, that mind <laughs> yeah. When, when it's been just surrounded by, you know, plant-based eating from day one, yep. it's a completely different mind frame. Like they're going to grow up, imagine when they're in their 20s and 30s mm-hmm. and just be like, Eating, like, I mean, you're saying it now, but like the more years that go past, it's going to be weirder and weirder and weirder for them to look back and go, people, people eat animals.
1: I mean, honestly, maybe I'm an optimist and my husband says I am an optimist and he's more of a realist, but I do, I do think we're going in such a strong direction to where eventually eating animals, especially in like developed countries will be kind of akin to like people who smoke cigarettes still like, wait, you still do that? You still smoke cigarettes, you know? Like it's kind of like that in a lot of places. Like especially, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in America here, in a lot of places in America, maybe not everywhere, but in a lot of places, it's kind of like a little bit like odd, you know? Like you smoke cigarettes is not is not as common as it used to be. You know, people used to smoke cigarettes when they were pregnant and everything. And now I feel like eating animals is gonna is it gonna get to that yeah, place. Yeah, like I it's think booming.
0: I think definitely in certain pockets.
1: Certain um, pockets, yeah. Not yeah. everywhere.
0: Not everywhere. Right. Um, not yet. Yeah, no, yeah. When you Optimist. get when you get out into the, to the mid the Midwest in America, it's, yeah. it's a little different.
1: Totally, it's such a different. But you know, I I feel like I have a lot of hope, and I just see it and going in a good direction. And also, you know, that is that being said, like you know, children might who are raised vegan it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stay vegan their entire life. You know, especially because we live in a non-vegan world. We live in a world where there's pressures and outside pressures to you know do things differently, and whatever is like the standard. I feel like it makes sense if you're not doing the standard that children might want to at some point you know, experiment or who knows, but it's like, to me, it doesn't, that's besides the point because, you know, from a if, if the whole world was vegan, if we lived in a vegan world, like everyone would stay, like children would stay Do
0: you ever think forward how you, how you would approach that? Like when, when Elvis is old enough, he's 18 and yeah. old enough to sort of make his own decisions. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we'll always love our children no matter what they eat. But for us, like we've just kind of like decided, Andrew, that like we're always going to keep the house vegan. So like if, if our children, I mean, they they don't want to be like they love being vegan. But if they ever got older and, you know, and they're like not wanting to eat vegan or they want to eat non-vegan foods like they'll they'll know without a shadow of a doubt that we love them no matter what. But we're always going to keep the house vegan. Like you whatever, when you're out doing something, that's your choice type thing. But yeah. But, you know, it's so interesting talking about that because my children love eating vegan and can't even imagine yeah. eating an animal.
0: Now, do they do they go and see like any sort of local doctors for checkups or anything like that? Have you done any blood tests? How how has it been received by doctors, I guess when you go in and yeah. you tell them that you're raising a vegan family? Have has it been a positive experience?
1: Uh, we don't actually go to like a regular practitioner like and no, we haven't had blood tests. I kind of feel like there's no I I don't need to get blood tests for my children just to like prove something. Like we obviously know they're so wonderfully healthy. I don't need to put them through that type of thing. If they ever want to, when they're older, like go for it. Or maybe when they're older, they'll want to. But yeah, we went to a doctor one time when Sandy had a a staph infection. Like it was rampant on the island and they're totally supportive, you know, clearly see how healthy our children is and, you know, went away in a week and that type of thing.
0: And in terms of like their, their sort of, Growth, their weight, and all of that. Every mm-hmm. everything is being
1: completely normal. Oh yeah, totally. You can look it up online too, like the average, like for their age and everything. And they're actually like taller than the average kids their age. They're bigger. They way bigger. But part of that is me and Andrew are bigger too. You know. So like if you ha- if you have a smaller family, if you and your partner are smaller, your children might be a little bit smaller, and that's okay. Like every we're all in different sizes, but. What matters the most is like, are they healthy from the inside out? How are they feeling? Are they vibrant? Do they have energy? Are they growing? You know, like that's so important. And eating sufficient calories and a whole wide variety of whole plant foods is like so key.
0: Did they have similar sort of growth spurts? Did you notice like yeah. all three of them?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, Scout is still so tiny, but Sandy and Elvis definitely. I mean, Elvis is shooting up. He's so tall. And I imagine him being like, he's probably going to be really tall, like at some point, because Andrew was six foot three by the time he was 13 years old. Wow. And I remember that was like when we first met him for the first time because we started dating when we were 15. But I saw him in school when when we were 13, and he just stuck out like a sore thumb. He was so tall, or taller than everybody else. And I'm like, who's that tall guy? <laughs> Elvis is already getting so tall. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's happening. <laughs> in
0: terms of the kids' education mm-hmm. and you know, being surrounded, I guess, by a school that serves potentially non mm-hmm. non-vegan food and 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 kids that are eating other foods. Have you thought about that and and what does the the kids' education look like?
1: Well, the education aspect, even for us, our decisions really have mostly nothing to do with about the food aspect. It has everything to do with the education aspect. And when Elvis was like two years old, we were trying to decide, are we going to homeschool? Are we not going to homeschool as he ages? But I was already leaning towards um, homeschooling, but I didn't have that much education on it and I needed to learn more about it. And my brother-in-law, who also, they're actually also a vegan family and they unschool and homeschool their children. They sent me sent us this book by John Holt called How Children Learn. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't. It is fascinating. Like I read it so fast, I was blown away by it. It completely like changed my heart about even how to view children, how to how to talk to children. I mean, I already was like a really gentle mother and everything, but it just it was kind of worldview shattering in regards to like education and the system and how broken it is, especially in America. John Holt. John Holt. How Children Learn, and he also has a book called How Children Fail, and it's really really good. And so we read that book, Andrew and I both, and we were just right away, yeah, we're definitely gonna be unschooling slash homeschooling. Do you know what unschooling is? Unschooling is like a form of of homeschooling, but it's actually like the title, unschooling. It's where their schooling there is their life, that life is learning, living is learning. And children love to learn. I mean, I actually have an entire podcast on this just topic, one topic on my sister's podcast, actually about unschooling and how fascinating it is. And I'm so passionate about it because Children love to learn at a very everything about them is learning. I mean, think about how quickly they learn a language. And we don't teach them that at all. Can you imagine if we tried to teach a baby how to how to speak English? Like it wouldn't go very well. They learn it on their own. And obviously not everything goes for learning on their own, but it just shows the the ample drive that we as a species have towards learning. The
0: capacity to learn, yeah. The
1: capacity to learn when given the opportunity to learn what they want to learn and what they're excited to learn about. And I don't know about you, but I take my own education experience about how I felt very forced to learn these exact subjects, even if I wasn't excited by them. And you pretty much only retain the information Mm. just to take the test. And then you forget about it. I mean, how much do you really even remember from high school?
0: Yeah, it's so structured and it's so everyone will do the same thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's really um, school, the current education system in America, at least, is really like how to get a job, not how to like have a good life.
0: And how to be conscious, mindful. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And, 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 of course, be, and
0: live a life where you feel fulfilled. Like there's bigger
1: things. Yeah, and to do what you're passionate about, what you're excited about, because whatever you're excited about, you will learn it so much better. If you sat down to try to teach me about aerospace engineering, which I don't have interest in, I will have a very hard time retaining that information. But if you're going to sit down and teach me things about stuff I'm passionate about, I'll retain it so much faster and quicker and I'll actually absorb it and keep it forever. So unschooling is all about like letting them learn what they're excited to learn, letting them be the guide and giving them all the resources that they could possibly need to help learn what they're excited about. So,
0: so, so Elvis is nearly seven and he's obviously, I mean, he's got some tutoring this afternoon, right?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, there's like some subjects where you are like, okay, it's something he's interested in. And like, I feel like I'm not very good at teaching it, whereas I'm better at uh, like other things. So Really unschooling is like there's all these different degrees in regards to like how you're gonna unschool. And we kind of do like a middle ground where we do some structured homeschooling and some unschooling, but for the most part, whatever he's excited to learn about, that's where we go, you know. So for him, he's really excited about math right now and he loves math. He's technically in first grade by like America standards, but he is already in second grade math and almost finished with it and wants to like he's just so amped about it because and because he we have that freedom. He can work so much harder at something he really likes and he'll go faster. As yeah. Well, well
0: so this, so you're taking him through, like, is there an online like modules where you get the information? Like, how are you working out yeah. sort of his benchmark and making sure oh, he's learning like yeah, the, yeah. the right sort of stuff?
1: Right. Yeah. Like in regards to like, oh, what grade is he in? We don't really do an online type of thing. A couple of my friends actually do these like awesome online courses for them and they like that structure a little bit more. We do more like just like free type of learning. But when it comes to math, there's these awesome like math workbooks that you can order online. And he's really into Star Wars right now. So we found these like Star Wars math books. And now he's on like second grade Star Wars math. And he'll like do it over and over. And then we'll see like, what does that entail? And keep doing extra exercises for that. So he like really absorbs the information really well. Because he'll be like, Wake up in the morning, mom, I want to do my math book. Let's do it. And so because he wants to do it, I'm not like, hey, kids, sit down. It's time to do math. You know, we don't do that very often. For the most part, it's what he's excited about. And, you know, a lot of our unschooling regards like education about plants and learning about gardening and everything. Spending
0: like a lot of time with them.
1: Yeah, outdoor spending our time with them for sure. And so Elvis has like a tutor, though, that he comes twice a week for in regards to reading because I'm really not very good at the whole like teaching about the phonics aspect of that. So my friend Chelsea had a really good tutor. So we're like, all right, let's do this for a little bit. And he really likes this tutor. So he's doing that a couple of times a week because mm-hmm. he wants to do it and he likes it. There's also this really good quote that talks about how like children will learn far more in just a few hours of talking with an adult about something that the adult is passionate about. Like whatever they're passionate about, they will learn so much more than like a week of school. Wow, it's like something like just sitting and thinking about that. And I've had so many experiences where. Elvis and Sandy are talking to someone like my dad is like super into composting right now. So he was over; they were over with my dad when we were visiting California, and for like an hour and a half, they were outside learning about composting. My dad is talking to him all about nitrogen and all these different things about composting, all the like
0: and they're just absorbing it. it all. And
1: they're like, "Whoa!" like loving it. As opposed to if they were sitting in a classroom for a week, like. You know, school. A lot of times, people say the structure is set up more towards girls. Like some boys, obviously, like thrive in it, and some girls don't. That type of thing. Some children, some girls really, or boys really, like the structure of school. So every kid is a little different. But I can just know that, like, for us at this point, at this stage, at this age, Elvis in school, like, it's just not the same as what he has now, what he's able to do. And also, we have a homeschool group that we meet up once a week on all together, and we rotate teaching a lesson, whatever our kid is interested in. So if it's my turn okay, Elvis, what do you want to learn? We're going to teach it at homeschool group. It's our turn to teach. That's so cool. Then we teach a lesson. So
0: that's sort of brings a bit of a social aspect so that they can mm-hmm. have some friends. Because I guess that's one of the things homeschooling. They're not around as many kids their age.
1: Well, I kind of think that's actually the biggest misconception about homeschooling because really, like most, that's like the first thing people ask, like, oh, you're homeschooling. Is your kid not very social? Like, make sure they're getting enough social activity. That's like their for their whole thing, the hang up type thing. But really, like if you're just like a normal person outside in the world, you have friends, your children have friends, you go out and about and you do things. And we meet up with our friends multiple times a week. They see friends probably like five days a week, not just the once a week that we do the homeschooling thing. That's just our one like structured thing a week for homeschooling. But Elvis has always been like the most outgoing child since the get go. When he was two years old, we'd go into the grocery store and he knew every cashier by name and be waving them and all of them and (laughs) having full on conversations with them. So really, you're taking as long as you're not keeping yourself hidden in a box, (laughs) you know what I mean? And isolated. Then yeah, you're like, you're still going to get plenty of social interaction. And then even sorry, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but even take the aspect of going to the grocery store with your kid giving them the empowerment to help learn how to pay for it they're learning about money and math and they're making conversations with the cashier and with the other employees
0: real life scenarios real life
1: scenarios and they're learning math and engagement and learning in all different ways just from that
0: it's incredible i like yeah. it where where does where does andrew sort of fit into whether you know from homeschooling or feeding the kids and, yeah. and what what would you say is i guess his really really important role in yeah. building this conscious mindful environment family that you've.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm so grateful to have him to do this by, by my side, you know, like he's so good in regards to like the homeschooling aspect too. Like he's so good at like educating on like history and storytelling and all those types of things. And the kids are just fascinated by the things that he teaches them about our history and, you know, all different aspects in the stories that he tells them and just the stuff that he has learned that he's passing on to them and geography. They love doing geography with him and the gardening and he helps with their food a lot. And he actually does probably just as much of the homeschooling, if not more, than I do, because I spend a lot of time editing videos and you know doing work in that regard on YouTube and Instagram. So I'll spend time at work, and he'll be outside with the boys, or doing gardening, or he'll be making food with them, or he'll be homeschooling with them. So he does so much of it, and he's like such. He's like our rock, our support. And I'm so grateful for him.
0: Sounds like it's pretty nonstop around here. The kids are always <laughs> up to yeah, something. I
1: know. We're like trying to finish this podcast before they get home at one. And it's going to be like, woohoo, crazy time.
0: Okay. So getting towards the end of this episode and we could talk for hours about yeah, schooling and parenting. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just a wealth of information. But some extra questions that I've got that I know that moms, parents, dads uh, will be interested in. Where do you sit in terms of Gadgets and iPads and TV Mm. and all of that and like, I guess it is a part of modern life now. Do your kids use them? Is there a certain amount of time that they use them? What What do you think about that?
1: We don't have any iPads. Like I, I just personally for our family, I found it really helpful to not have iPads to where they could just like zone out, holding something really close to their face and like not see the world around them type of thing. We do have a TV. We watch movies together. I feel like. For us, the healthy balance is like making it a family time type thing. We're like, oh, we're going to watch a movie together now, you know, like let's watch something together and have like a family experience like that, as opposed to like, oh, pop in front of the TV so I can like, you know, not be bothered and do something else. That does happen sometimes. I am not perfect. Sometimes it's like, okay, watch a cartoon for a minute, (laughs) you know, type thing. Um, I need to go, you know, put Scout down for a nap or something like that. But I feel like for us... A big priority is being really selective with wholesome shows and something that's educational and helpful. So, like, Daniel the Tiger is a great TV show. Have you ever heard of it? Like, you don't have either. kids, right? So, I you're like, what kids, is
0: this? But, but I. I'm very excited to have kids. So this conversation is is like, I'm just, I'm just soaking it
1: all up. Yeah. That's so cool. (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. But um, for us, like there's a couple of shows like Octonauts and Daniel the Tiger, where they're really educational and Magic School Bus. I'm sure you've heard of Magic School Bus. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So Magic School Bus is all about like, there's science. That's huge, It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much to learn and it's really educational and it's like helpful. You know, it's not just going to be like a pointless type of show that isn't engaging or... You know,
0: They're different. not just sitting there like zombies. They're yeah. actually soaking something up. Yeah.
1: And we pretty much, you know, we don't we don't have TV on all the time. It's really like, you know, once every couple of days you can watch a show. They're like, Mom, can we watch something? And they'll watch yeah. something for like 40 minutes to an hour or something. But that's pretty much it.
0: Do they like any sports or like physical activity?
1: Yeah. Elvis is like a hardcore baseball fan. Largely because his dad is a big baseball fan. <laughs> There's actually a Dodger playoff game today, so they're going okay, to be watching yeah. that this afternoon. <laughs> but yeah, so they're they're really into baseball and they love basketball and pretty much all outdoor type of activities.
0: And you, you just mentioned Scout, and I've I've just been thinking: Do you use dummies? Like, have they have the kids use dummies? What's a dummy? Like, yeah, like a, a pacifier? Yeah, like a pacifier. Oh yeah, In Australia we call them dummies. Oh dummies. No,
1: <laughs> no, we I've never used a pacifier. I mean, no, we've actually never used one. I've never felt inclined to or. Like just intuitively, I haven't, I haven't used one at all. Also, not to mention about the sports thing, Elvis is on a baseball team. And so every year he gets on, he goes to his baseball team and he wears his like special baseball pants and cleats. And like he loves his hat. And that's like an awesome like activity he gets to do every that's year. Awesome. He loves, and Sandy's excited to do that next year as well.
0: Sandy, Sandy this sounds like he really looks up to his older brother. He does.
1: Oh, <laughs> I'm excited for you to meet them. Sandy yeah. is like such a free spirit. We'll see him
0: soon. He's yeah. so wonderful. The lunch. What are we having for lunch?
1: I'm gonna make a big salad with lots of veggies and lots of avocado. We have this like wonderful Kahalu avocado, which is like the creamiest, most decadent avocado you'll ever have, and bake some potatoes and put that on top with like salsa and sauerkraut. One that sounds good? That sounds
0: absolutely amazing. Okay, good. And I'm I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> the this is this is a question more for me, but also um, you know, I've got a few friends with young kids. Where do you sit on the this sort of self-soothing, self, self-settling self versus I guess attachment parenting and oh, having, yeah. having the baby in the bed, like what's worked for yeah. you? Yeah.
1: Attachment parenting is so natural to me. Like I think something really key and pivotal thinking about like raising your children is that children are people now, like they're not people later. So they have feelings and emotions and by us treating them the way that we would want to be treated is the most like logical in my sense, because and also, also considering about how children have only been on this planet for such a short period of time, their brain has so much developing to do. So to not be unreasonable with how they should be acting, you know, sometimes people will say, "Oh well, you got to get you got to stamp out their humanity." I feel like so many parents like like ideally, in the way that like our society has set things, is like you need to stamp out their humanity, like stamp it out. Don't let them have tantrums. Don't let them scream. Don't let them do this. Don't stand for it. Type of thing. But when you take into account that children are people now and if I was upset, if I was like upset about something, the last thing I'd want for Andrew to do is to yell at me and tell me to like go sit in a corner, right? Like if I'm upset, I need a hug, you know, like it's and it's not me trying to find out
0: like it's okay.
1: Yeah, like it's I'm not it's not me trying to manipulate him. People think that children are manipulators, but but really like children are just like like people now that have big emotions and their brain is still developing and they need us to be their supporters to where they feel so comfortable with us. And so, you know, we have healthy boundaries. This is not, I think a lot of people think that like gentle parenting or attachment parenting is like passive parenting, but there's a big difference between passive parenting.
0: So where do you draw that line? Yeah.
1: Like passive parenting would be like, you're at the store and okay, I'll give you a really good example here. So like you're at the, at the toy store, you're at target or something. And like your kid sees a toy and they're like, mommy, I want that toy. Sorry, bud. We're not going to buy that toy today. Like we we spent too much already. Like you don't need another toy. You have so many toys at home. So a three year old might go, I really want that toy, and start screaming and and start throwing a fit at the at the store, right? So a lot of times, like we're kind of like taught to be like, Oh no, they're not allowed to have that tantrum, and then we start screaming back at them, or you'll be like, We're you know have a consequence or a punishment for that. Like if you don't stop screaming now, I'm going to take away all your toys and throw it in the trash. Like that's kind of like a standard kind of impulse a lot of people have maybe because of the way they were raised, you know, through past like broken relationships growing up. And then then there's like the attachment parenting where you're like, okay, I'm going to give my child a hug and be like, I'm really sorry you're feeling that way. I'm sorry that you want that toy right now. We can't get it, but we can't get that toy. I'm sorry you're feeling sad about it. You're feeling sad about that. huh? You really want it. Maybe next time, if you save up your money, you can come and get it, or we can discuss it later when we get home, but we're not going to buy that today. And then they're still sad and mad, but you give them a hug and you let them have their feelings. But people, a lot of times, don't associate the difference because passive parenting would be like, oh, they're crying. Just give them the toy.
0: And could, that, I imagine that that would then reinforce that type of behavior yeah, it would. over and over.
1: Exactly. It would be like, oh, if I scream and cry, I get what I want. Yeah. Or as opposed to when you're screaming and crying, they're sad about something and they just need you to like, let them have their feelings about it. And you can acknowledge them that they're having their feelings and that it's okay that they have their feelings, but just be like, we're still not going to get that toy. I'm sorry. You're sad about it. And like, would you like a hug type thing? Mm. And then you can say next time when you're sad about something, you can say, man, that makes me feel mad. I feel like giving words to children really helps them to be like, okay, Mm. next time I'm mad, instead of screaming, I can just be like, oh, I'm really mad. I really wanted that toy. So then they learn how to use their words calmly instead of screaming.
0: Is that something that you now just comes naturally or do you have to really like, you know, scenario comes up, you have to really think about it. And I'm, I'm guessing it might even depend on how your day is going or what yeah, your mood's it totally like, how depends. stressed you are.
1: Oh, that absolutely has so much to do with it. Like the way that we react to our children has so much to do with how we're feeling inside. Um, for one, it has to do with like how we were raised. A lot of times impulse is based on like if we were raised in a way where our parents yelled at us a lot. Fortunately, I feel like my parents raised me in like a very gentle parenting type of way without even before that was even a thing, you know, like I look back and I can't even remember one time that my parents yelled at me in my whole childhood. So that like helped me to really like it feels like it comes pretty naturally, but it still does take a lot of effort, like in your mind, especially if you're having a hard day. If I'm, you know, really wrapped up in things, I feel like I haven't been able to take care of myself. I'm really hungry. I haven't had time to make food for myself. The kids need me in all different directions. Scout just pooped and Sandy needs a nap and Elvis is like, you know, asking me to help him with something. Then it's, you know, you're much more likely to lose your cool, especially if you didn't get good sleep last night. You're not drinking enough water and you're not taking care of yourself and not getting alone time for yourself. Like all of these things of like self-care really makes a big difference into how you're going to react to your children. So if you're taking care of yourself better, you're going to have a much easier time at like maintaining your cool, taking a moment to like reflect before you respond, you know.
0: Some really, really valuable information there. Yeah. Well, we've covered some huge teri- so many territory. Yeah. Um I know the listeners are going to absolutely love this one. So much valuable sort of golden nuggets of information. Oh, thank you. And you know, it's just great to speak with you. You're living proof of a vegan mother who's thriving, who has a, a thriving family and as I said at the start, there's so many mothers that can benefit from Hearing this information and, and yeah. just being made to feel a bit more confident in their thank own journey. So you. thanks Hi, for joining. We've got yeah, thank we've, you. We've got Elvis. Elvis has just come home. Hi, Elvis. <laughs> so it's, Simon,
1: Elvis. What are you We're doing we're doing a podcast. A podcast. you know how Hannah does podcasting? What do it, you? What,
0: you've got your star Star Wars outfit on today.
1: <laughs> this is Halloween costume.
0: All right, guys. That's the end of this. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I'm looking forward to lunch.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for
0: coming on. Well, folks, told you that was going to be a wild episode full of super handy information. Information that I feel a lot of young mums don't have. And remember, guys, this is Ellen's experience. The aim of these conversations is not about comparison. You do you. But hopefully there is some handy bits of information that can help you in your own life, your own journey. Also, I have put Ellen's breastfeeding blog link in the show notes as we spoke about, as well as some information about her ebooks, which are awesome and I highly recommend, particularly if you have kids. So as always, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I'd love to see your feedback. Please share a post on social media and tag myself and Ellen or leave a review on iTunes. I hope you have an incredible week ahead and I'll see you in the next episode.